Hi, guys. Rach. Rachel. I sound like a yawn, actually. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to be a little bit more enthusiastic than that, but uh, guys, how are we all feeling? <laughs> I'd say better than you're feeling, John. Yeah, I, I, you probably hear my voice. I, I, I'm suffering a little bit. A bit of a celebration last night for my, my dad's birthday and my mom's birthday and and and, and stuff. So I had some. Of, I, I shared around some of the rocks tequila at, at half two in the morning. And <laughs> the rest of them are not tequila drinkers. And I, I, I'm, I'm putting on a brave phrase drinker because I love the rock. And then after that, I was straight to bed for me. So to get up for this podcast. <laughs> you say that as if we forced you out of bed very early. Um, well, I was going to let that lie there as if it was, but no, it is 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And <laughs> my routines have changed now. I don't know, not because not of last night, but in general now, just because of things opening up, normally I'd be like getting ready to go for a run and stuff now. And now I'm putting it off to the afternoon. And are you guys finding that actually now with things that, well, not, Rachel, you're, you're different over in Australia, I suppose, with your, your, your sunshine all the time and all the rest. But Erica, you finding things like New Year's resolutions the first two, three weeks, um, with a different routine and structure to what it is now? In a way, yes. Um, although I've kind of been lucky in the sense that I made Saturday night sacred ground for myself. Um, mm. So, and Sunday morning, um, my support network for making sure I go to, for a run on a Sunday is my mom. So she very much decided early on that she didn't want to walk when it was too cold. So she pushed it till 11 or 12 <laughs> o'clock. So... <laughs> I've actually done all right. I've just been more accommodating to those around me, so I feel better about myself. But um, and no, yeah, I, I, I've been kind of lucky in that sense. But I've noticed now we, we took a trip on Friday night, so I didn't get to the gym on Friday night. But I think it's good to be flexible. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I was very rigid for the first couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, just being able to be that little bit flexible, be able to change things, except that I'm going to miss a training session here and there. But that's OK. Like if you're going to going to be training for something for eight months you need to you need to kind of be flexible and enjoy yourself as well yeah i mean like um i just pop it in my head there just just my own kind of stuff has changed with um like my routines are still rigid around work i'm lucky enough i work at a gym so i'm able to train around around that that kind of schedule my schedule there has hasn't changed but just other stuff coming in now it's changed a bit and that's not a bad thing things are open up and it's great and to be honest, I got the whole idea because Rachel had a post on it on the Instagram story on Friday. I should remind you before we start recording the podcast today. <laughs> I think it is important to be flexible, especially like when you've been locked down for so long, you haven't had, you know, things haven't been open. You haven't really had incentive to go anywhere. But now that things are back open, you know, you, you're you going to make the most of it. I mean, I'm sure there's people that you would have seen regularly who you probably haven't seen much of in the last two years. And if an opportunity came up to see them, you're absolutely going to postpone a run or a gym session to go and hang out with them. Yeah, absolutely. In my head, I'm not too sure, actually. But yeah, we'll say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why Stan hasn't seen me in a while. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, the run became more important. <laughs> Do you reckon that the uh, the normal trails will be a bit quieter now this weekend, that the pubs are back open? Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll let you know. I'm heading into the, the Phoenix Park now for quarter past 11, but usually um, it's quite empty when the pubs are open up until around afternoon lunchtime so we'll we'll see i just feel i feel for the guards guards are actually patrolling that night now we were in ennis on friday and i seen guards on the drunk patrol just watching people coming out pubs drunk and i'm like oh i bet they don't miss that <laughs> <laughs> or didn't miss that but yeah i wasn't that bad know. <laughs> 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 rachel has a guest on the podcast this week rachel who do you have lined up today Yes, we have Claire from Denver, Colorado. And Claire is an ultramarathoner, um, very, very inspirational person to talk to. She's pretty new to running in the sense that she only took it up in the last maybe four to five years. Started off with couch to 5K, not a success. She'll tell you all about that herself coming up anyway. But just to go from couch to 5k struggling to get through that and not just once 
or twice, but three times to then go on and become this ultra marathoner and just her whole perspective on running and why she runs and what gets her at the door. It, it really is inspirational to listen to her. I'm not sure if she intended on being as inspirational as she comes across, but it is definitely worth a listen. And, you know, there was one point where she passed a comment about her attitude towards race day. And I was just like, wow, I haven't even listened back to the podcast, but I'd say there was a point where I just paused. (laughs) So, you know, I'm not going to give too much more away. I'm going to, you know, let Claire do the talking, explain her story. But yeah, it's definitely worth the listen. So I really, really hope you all enjoy this episode. So with that, we're going to hit the intro music and get going. Let's go. Claire, I am delighted to welcome you onto the Any Given Run Day podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, If you'd just like to introduce yourself to everyone listening, just tell us a bit about who you are and where you are. And you have to introduce that gorgeous cutie sitting on your lap there. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, yeah, this is Bo, my dog. He gets really excited when I I talk to my laptop and he always wants to get in my lap. So here he is. Um, But yeah, um, I'm Claire. Um, I currently live, I'm in Denver, Colorado. Um, Yeah. And so... I'm just, you know, I'm a runner. I'm a sort of an archaeologist, um, really into coffee, all this, all this kind of good stuff. I think it's nearly a given that if you run these days, you are into coffee. Oh, yeah. No, I think it's necessary. Yeah, I just feel like you can't, you can't do one without the other. I just feel like they're so connected these days. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you got to use for the energy and then also just kind of like the pre-run, kind of flush everything out. Coffee we actually talked um, on the podcast there about rituals and superstitions there last week. And I think coffee is nearly becoming one of those rituals. Just that, as you said, it gives you the energy, but then you just kind of have to have it. It's like you're not set up. You're not ready to go until you've had that coffee. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, you mentioned that you're an ultra runner, but how did you get into running? Have you always ran um, is it something you did like in school growing up or when did it all start for you? Oh gosh, no, I was not, I was not a runner growing up. I was the kid who like walked the mile in gym class. I think my best was like a 16 minute mile. <laughs> so yeah, not, not really an athlete. Um, I started running in 2016. I did couch to 5k after graduating from undergrad. I was just kind of like frustrated with myself and like super out of shape. So I decided to try couch to 5k. It was the, I think the third time I tried, um, the times I tried before I didn't make it all the way through before I just kind of gave up. Um, this time it just kind of stuck. It took me an extra month. So I started in May of 2016 and I finished it in August. Um, and that's when I ran my first 5k and my whole, I had two goals. I wanted to not walk and I wanted to finish in under 30 minutes. And I did not accomplish either of those. I just stopped to walk twice and it took me like 33 minutes, I think. So I was was super bummed about that. But then I just kind of like kept running. My mom actually is a runner. Um, So like one of my earliest memories was watching her run the Boston Marathon. So like that was kind of a huge inspiration for me when I wanted to start running. And she actually told me, um, she's like, yeah, we, you know, if if you find a race for us, I'll run a half marathon with you. So it was actually five years ago today, I ran my first half marathon with my mom. Um, and my goal for that, I wanted to break two hours and I did not do that. It's like a theme for my first race of every distance. I'd always go into it with like this goal that I was like, oh yeah, I can totally accomplish this. And then I just wouldn't. <laughs> so yeah, it took me yeah, two hours and three minutes. Um, and then from there, I just kind of, I don't know, I was running like 50 miles a month. I wasn't really... And like, I thought that was fantastic. I was like very proud of myself. I thought that was super high mileage. And then over the summer, I did, I worked an internship while I was in grad school. Um, And I was just kind of like living alone in this city where I didn't know anyone. And all I would do is I'd get up and go to work and then I just, I wouldn't do anything else. So I like kind of really dove into running and I went 
straight from like 50 miles a month to running 50 miles a week. I started a run streak. I did all this like very stupid stuff. Um, and I kind of like spent the whole summer doing that. And then I went back to school for my last year of grad school. And over the summer, while I've been doing all this running, I found, I started like listening to running podcasts. Um, and I found a couple that were talking about ultra marathons and it just like totally blew my mind. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine running further than a half. Like that felt so monumental to me, but I thought it was super cool. I like, I remember following along Western States that year, um, in 2017 and like getting so hyped up about it. Um, so I went back to grad school that fall and I kind of like fell in with this group of ultra runners. And I like, I went to a race, I ran the 10 miler. It was like a 50 K and a 10 miler. I ran the 10 miler and everyone there was like, Oh, you haven't done an ultra yet. Like they were just, like, so shocked. And I was like, yeah, I'm only run, like a half. <laughs> and they were like, Oh, you could, well, you could, if you can run a half, you can run a 50 K. And I was like, I don't know know about that. Um, But I had decided I wanted to run my first marathon and I had signed up for that in February. And I was like, okay, you know what? I found this local race. It was a six hour, a 12 hour and a 24 hour and a 48 hour. Um, And I was like, okay, I'm going to sign up for one of these and I'm going to see if I can cover a marathon distance. And that'll give me confidence going into my first marathon. And I was going to sign up for the six hour, but I didn't think that would be enough time. Cause I was like, I was convinced I was going to have to like walk the entire thing. I, I don't know. So I signed up for the 12 hour. Um, and I ended up running almost 60 miles in the 12 hour. And that was my first ultra. Um, so it was about a year and a half after I started couch to 5k, I ran my first ultra. So Sunny. it was like a very interesting <laughs> way to get into it. I'm sure there's going to be people listening going, Oh my God. Like, Generally, once you get to 5K, okay, the next target is 10K. Okay, let's try hit that. Then maybe half marathon. But I think you, like you said, you struggled to get to the 5K to start with. And then it just took off and it took off exponentially. Like you literally weren't walking, you ran. (laughs) You like literally ran straight from 5K to ultra. But like, I'm sure that gave you a lot of confidence. Like, you know, having your mom there for the half marathon, getting through it, I'm sure that really built your confidence being like, okay, I've always viewed my mom as this amazing, inspiring runner. And I'm after doing a half marathon with her. I'm sure that's a memory that you kept with you as you build up to the, to the ultra marathon. Oh yeah. No, it was, it was like this amazing first, like big race experience, just like being able to do that with her and share that. It was great. And it's, it was, it was kind of funny. I like, I didn't tell my family I was going to do this ultra. And I think I, like I had posted something on Instagram during the race. I think when I hit the marathon mark, I like posted, I was like, ah, like, look, look what I did. I'm like this, you know, four and a half hours in or something. And I'm pretty sure at one point my, like my mom texted me and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're going to hurt yourself. What is going on? And I was like, so I just kind of, you know, I thought maybe it'd be fun. <laughs> But they've totally come around in it. My parents are super into the ultra scene now. So, oh, that's amazing! Just to have that, you know, you you talked about though getting in with the ultra marathon runners at your college or university, so the or in grad school, and you know, running really does have that community feel. Like even though oh, yeah. it's such an individual sport, just getting in with that community, as you said, your family is now big into it. Like that, that just must be amazing to be able to share it with them. Um, but when you're building up to ultra marathons, like one big thing when you're following any sort of running plan is you're not supposed to increase your mileage too quickly. Now, I know yeah. that you had roughly a year to a year and a half, but like a lot of people would think going from five kilometers to 60 miles, which is roughly 100 kilometers. Like, how did you manage to increase to that distance? staying injury free. Yeah. I think my, like, I always kind of say my one's kind of superpower with running. Like some people are really just naturally fast. Some people, you know, they just are gifted that way. My like whole superpower is that I'm really durable. Like I look back on how, like I, cause I jumped straight from, you know, 10 to 15 miles a week to 50 without doing the whole, like, Oh, increase by 10% every week. Um, and like that, looking back, I would not tell I would, you know, kind of caution myself not to do that. I think I, I was really lucky that I 
haven't been injured. Um, because I definitely, I don't think it's anything I would recommend. Somebody, it worked out pretty well for me. I averaged 50 miles a week for most of the summer and I ended up doing a super week, quote unquote, with some of my friends, like a month before my race where I did, I think I ran 96 miles that week. Um, but I think the longest I ever ran it in one stretch before the race was 14 miles. Um, so it was just like one of those things where it just, it kind of, the stars align. Like I, I made it through the race without any injuries. Like I even, I think I managed to like jog a mile the next day, just very shuffly, very slow, but like just still just kind of puttering around the square. Meanwhile, everyone in their heads is still recovering at the thoughts of running 60 miles and you're out the next day jogging a mile. And like, I suppose you probably had a lot to learn in that time. Like, did you ever think about nutrition and hydration? Like, was that something that crossed your mind? And how did you learn all that in such a quick time? It, I, I had no idea what I was doing going to this because I had, I mean, my longest runs, I think maybe I would take one gel. I had like a handheld water bottle that I'd use for long run stuff. And that was it. I had never, I did not have any sort of nutrition plan. I did not have any sort of hydration plan. I just kind of went into it. So it was, um, the race was on a one mile loop. So there was an aid station every mile. So I just kind of would every you know, three or four loops, I would stop at the A station and just kind of like peruse the table and see, I don't know, does anything look good? And I just kind of was going from there. Like I, you know, you're not supposed to try anything new on race day, but I uh, kind of ignored that. (laughs) It was pretty much everything new on race day. It sounds like you really listened to your body because I know this is something that we say the whole time. Listen to your body. Your body will tell you if something's wrong. Your body will tell you what you need. But when you're looking at your watch or you're reading things, maybe on social media or online about what you should be doing, you nearly lose touch with the what am I feeling side of things. You seem to just ignore all that and be like, no, I am going by exactly what I'm feeling because I know my body best. I know what works best for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, even like during races, I kind of, I don't really go in. I don't like to go in with a time goal or in the case of like a timed race, a a distance goal. Like I just kind of go, like, I know what the effort level that I'm aiming for and kind of just whatever that ends up being, that's, that's where I'm at. Cause I mean, if you're not setting time goals can be hard because if you're not fit enough for that time, you know, you're just going to blow up and you're going to end up having an even worse race. Like, I think it's just more important to kind of know what you're capable of sustaining and just aim for that effort. I mean, even like in training, I don't have pace as a field on my watch. I just kind of, I go out with a time goal. Like I, today I ran for 65 minutes and I had no idea what pace I was going. I had no idea how much distance I'd covered. I just kind of went until my watch was like, okay, you're done. And then like, I looked at it afterwards, but I just kind of I like to focus on just for easy runs, just like, you know, checking in with myself, like, am I, you know, am I breathing too heavy? Like how does my body feel? And like for workouts and stuff, it's more like, okay, what kind of effort level am I aiming for today? Like, am I trying to really go hard? Am I going for more of a tempo effort? Like, it's all about just like what you have on that day and how everything's feeling and just kind of not trying to force it. Which I do think is an amazing approach to take to running because a lot of people are like, okay, my goal is a PB. I want to, or a PR as you probably say, you know, I want to set personal record or my personal best in this race. That is my aim for this season. And everything revolves around running that specific time. And then I feel like you're overlooking everything you did accomplish. The amount of times you got out the door that you successfully completed a run that just goes out the window because you didn't run as fast as you wanted to you still got out and ran. And I think that's something that you're really encompassing. You know, you're really embracing the whole, it's the journey. I'm enjoying the journey. It's the journey that is how you measure the success, not the time you do in the race. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Yeah. I saw something like a year or two ago, um, someone on social media, I don't even remember who shared it, but it was something along the lines of how like, you know, the race day is just kind of a celebration of all of your training. And so like, it shouldn't be this like big, scary thing. It's more just like, you know what, you know, it's a celebration of every day that you woke up and you, you know, woke up at four or 5am and got out the door, like when it's snowing, when it's raining, like you 
put in all this work and now it's just time to celebrate it and have fun and just kind of see what happens. So I always I truly like that. I love that that the race day is a celebration because again the race day it's always the target. It's always mm-hmm. the goal, the target. And looking at it as the celebration, I've never done that. That that is eye-opening for me thinking of it like the celebration like this is what I was training for. This is why I've been getting out in the cold or the west or the wind. Um no, I really really love that. I'm definitely going to use that from now on. <laughs> It's um, it's nice, especially when you're in like the later bit of the race and you're like, oh my God, this hurts so bad. And you're like, yeah, this is, this is what I wanted. This is what I asked for. That is fantastic. Um, and just want to go back then to the ultramarathon because you mentioned the Western state and that is a uh, 100 mile. So, yes. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but they call it the original 100 mile race. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the you know, the, the daddy of them all. It's the, the first one, at least the first one in the U.S. I think there may, I've heard rumors that there was like a different original one somewhere in, in Europe or something, but it's it was the first one in the U.S. for sure. But uh, it used to be a horse, a horse race. <laughs> so. <laughs> How we have evolved. <laughs> yes. um, but this is a massive deal. And you got into this race quite unexpectedly. You didn't expect to actually get a place in this race. Yeah. Yeah. I had finished, well, I finished my first hundred miler in 2019 at Javelina. And so when I finished that race, I got one ticket into the Western States lottery. Uh, and I think, and that was, so I entered the lottery for 2020. And I think I had, I think when my friends did the math, it was like a 1.3% chance of getting my ticket pulled. So of course, like leading up to the race, you know, we went, so I went to like a, a watch party for the lottery and everyone there had so many more tickets than me. And I was going around joking like, ha oh, ha, well, I'm going to get in, you know, cause like there's, you know, there's no way. Um, and then, you know, I, I look up at the screen and I see my name being pulled and I just like, I was in shock. I, I like had to reread it like six times and I was, standing there and everyone's like are you okay and I was like that's that's me I'm in the race Uh, so yeah I was not I was really not prepared I had this whole big plan I was gonna do the Leadville 100 and like start racking up my tickets and then eventually when they got pulled I'd be you know a veteran have all these other big races under my belt and then nope (laughs) second hundred miler western states so that is just incredible it's like yep I've hit the jackpot. I've got into this really monumental race. Like, I suppose there's no other way to top off your introduction to running from that third attempt at couch to 5K, not meeting your targets, to suddenly you're in this iconic race. And again, doing it for the absolute love of it. And talk us through that race. So, obviously, you know, it is an iconic race. Did that change your mindset? Did that change how you approached it? Because as you said, you've only been a single hundred miler before it, but now you're in the big one. You're in the one that everyone wants to get into. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of pressure. I, I was so like, I, cause I self-coached myself for my first hundred miler. Cause like that, I don't know. I actually went into that race. I just wanted to finish. I didn't really have any like big pressure on myself. It was just kind of like, let's go see, you know, see what happens. But for Western States, I just, I was like, you know, I don't know if I'll get a chance to do this race again. So I have to do everything possible to make sure that I show up and I'm in like the best shape I've ever been in because I need to finish this race. Um, so, you know, I, I hired a coach. I like was doing all this stuff. Um, and I think I just got, I got really into my own head about it. It's about like, I think while I was training, because I was so, I don't think I was quite ready to like have someone telling me what to do and for me to totally trust that because I was so used to you know coaching myself and just I was so used to being the one deciding these things and I was like well maybe I know better and so like I think that I kind of got in my head there um and like so leading up to the race I was super super nervous I was just like you know I was worried you know I I I didn't feel as good and like there was so much more extra stuff involved and of course it's like you know, mid pandemic, you know, extra, like, am I going to be able to travel there? Like, is my flight going to get canceled? It was just, it was really stressful, but 
I don't know. I got, I think I had a really good experience during the race. Um, a couple of my friends came out to crew and pace me and my parents came to crew me. And it was just really special being able to share this really amazing race with so many people. Um, and so now actually even some of my friends who were there who didn't really have a huge interest in doing Western States before now after helping pace and crew and stuff, they're all like, okay, we need to start getting our tickets. Like we have to come back. I want to do this race. It's just like, it's magical. It was, it was really amazing. I had like a pretty objectively terrible race. I like gave myself trench foot after the first 50 miles. So it's basically the entire bottom soles of both my feet turned into a giant blister for the last 50 miles of the race. Um, so it was just like, really, it was really painful. It was, you know, a lot slower than I was expecting to be. I, I ended up walking a lot more than I expected, but I don't know. It was just amazing. I, I don't want to say I wouldn't change anything because I, I might, you know, wear different socks so I don't get trench foot, um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was just an absolutely amazing experience. And I went into it being like, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people who turns into like a Western States fanatic and tries to go back and do it a million times. But I would, I would absolutely go back and I want to do it again. I have to do it again. It was just amazing. Well, you never know. They seem to let about 5,000 or over 5,000 entrants every year. So, you know, you never know. We will be certainly rooting for you to get back in. Do you consider yourself mentally tough? Like, do you think that you are a very mentally strong determined person um I'd say like yes and no I think I've worked really really hard to try to like work on my mental toughness because and this has been part of like me becoming a runner like I I started running partially because I was dissatisfied with myself and like I felt like I gave up on things too easily and like I just didn't have that drive and so running at first was me like a way for me to prove to myself that I could do hard things and that like I was tough. And so it's just something I've just kind of always had in the back of my head, like tell there's a little voice being like, no, you know, you're not, you're not tough. You don't do these things. And so I kind of, I don't know, I use running as this way to prove to myself every day. They're like, no, actually like you are, you're a tough person. You can do tough things. Like, and so I have this whole backlog of these experiences I can look back on and be like, Hey, like when that voice pipes up, I can say, you know what? No, I've done I finished 200 milers. Like I've done all of these ultras. I've done marathons. I, I wake up at 4am to go run in the dark. Like, no, I am objectively a tough person. Like here's all of my proof. And so it's just, I don't know. I think I definitely have internalized some of that in a way that I, I didn't have when I was younger, um, which has been good. I think I'll always kind of have that little bit of doubt in the back of my head, but I think it's kind of healthy in the sense that it is something that pushes me forward and like keeps me on this path and just kind of a bit of a motivation. But yeah, I definitely think I wasn't always very mentally tough, but I think I've grown a lot in that aspect through running, which has been great. And it just shows why sport is credited with building life skills. Like, you know, whether it's resilience or teamwork or in this case, mental toughness, sport really does a lot of positive things for our day-to-day lives outside of sport and running you know at the end of the day you know your life it's very it is an individual like you are in control of your life just the same way that you were in control of your run and I think being able to bring that kind of mental toughness resilience perseverance whatever you want to call it um it definitely you know, benefits. And as you said, it doesn't matter whether it's your next run or a challenge you face in work or your personal life, you can say to yourself, no, I've accomplished much more challenging things. I've got through things when I thought I couldn't. And I'm sure that really spurs you forward in all parts of your life. Oh, yeah. No, I think getting a lot of experience making yourself very uncomfortable is very applicable to everything else in life. And I mean, I've even, I brought it up during like job interviews before, like the fact that I run ultras because I, I use it as a, a way to show that like, yeah, you know, like I am very, you know, I, I do what I set out to do. I'm very driven. Like I, have, I like to make goals and I stick to them. And so, and it's worked. So I think it's definitely been a boon in, in many aspects of my life. But then 
not only did you qualify for this amazing Western state race, you are also a Boston qualifier, a Boston marathon qualifier. And, you know, so many people listening, like Boston is such an incredible marathon. Like I never, I haven't even raced a half marathon yet. Okay. I've run the distance, never raced a marathon to me is still out of reach. But the likes of Boston, New York, like some of these big U.S. marathons and some of the big European ones, they're kind of bucket list ones. And oh, yeah. you managed to qualify for Boston. But I suppose like seems to be your trend. It didn't happen first time out, did it? No, no. I, I ran my first marathon. I've, so I've only actually ever run two marathons. They're both in 2018. I ran my first one in February of 2018. and just. I, I fooled myself. I was like, okay, I'm going to use this. It's just going to be a long run. Like I have no <clears throat> time expectations, nothing. It's going to be fine. But I like secretly in the back of my head wanted to qualify for Boston. And at the time that meant I had to go under 335. Um, and so I like started out with the 345 pace group. So I was like, okay, I'll stick with them for a little bit. And then if I feel good, I'll like break off. <laughs> and they set off and they are running sub eight minute pace, which is faster than a 330. And I was like, this is, as I stuck with them for a couple miles and then just realized this was totally unsustainable and just kind of just started falling just super down. I, you know, I walked at the end of it. It was, it was not great. It was not my best day. But um, then I found out that I had gotten into the New York City Marathon because I had entered the lottery. It's a bunch of my friends entered the lottery and I was like, there's no way I'll get in. So it's another lottery that I like accidentally got in. <laughs> um, so yeah, I. I trained for that. I had actually just moved from Alabama to Wyoming. So I moved from sea level to altitude. Um, and like, that was a whole experience. So I was like running like 11 minute miles at first because I, there was no oxygen. Um, but yes, I, I trained up for that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I went into the race knowing I wanted to run a 330 because I think they had just updated the standard and now it was suddenly 330 instead of 335. So that was like my whole goal. I wasn't sure if I could do it. The most I had ever run at like my marathon pace was I had run five miles at eight minute pace during a 20 mile long run. And that was like the most I had done. Most, I think a lot of marathon plans have you doing, you know, like 14 miles at marathon pace and stuff like that. And I was like, I had not done that. Um, I just kind of was going to just see what happened. And I got, I also got really lucky because a friend of mine got into the race and he was just kind of going to run it for fun. And he's fast enough that my, the marathon pace I wanted was well within like his easy range. So he was like, Hey, you know what? Like you want to run a three thirty? like I'll pace you. I'll be a personal pacer for you. We can just run together the whole time and I'll, you know, make sure you stay on pace. Um, so that was just like, so, so helpful. If you have the chance to have a personal pacer during your race, I highly recommend it. It was, it was a perfect day. And cause New York, the marathon course is, it's not easy. It's pretty hilly. There's a bunch of bridges, um, but just the energy of the, I don't know, 50,000 plus people in the crowds on the streets was just unreal. I had like, I had headphones on, but I don't think I heard a single, like at, nothing, none of my music because there was just, people were cheering so loudly and it was amazing. And like, I, I needed it too. Cause by the last couple of miles, I was just, I was not having a good time. I turned to my friend Doug and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and cause we were like running up this hill in central park and I was just, this is, I, I want to die. Everything's terrible. Um, but you know, he reminded me that we were still on pace, you know, I could, it was so close. And so like, we just kept pushing and pushing. And then suddenly the finish line is there. And I like look up at the clock and I cross the clock and I made it in under 330 with 17 seconds to spare um and it was just like I I instantly started crying like I, there's a photo of me right after crossing the finish line and I am just like in tears just sobbing because I was just I was so happy it was this it's always been my goal was Boston even when I like before I really even started running just because it's just one of those memories I have of seeing my mom do it and just being like so amazed by her and just being like, I, you know, I don't think I could ever do that, but I'd love to do that someday. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I made it under by 17 seconds. And so I applied to, you know, go to Boston and run the race. And then the cutoff, I think was like, oh my gosh, it was like five or seven minutes or something. I 
just absolutely did not make it in. Um, and then, yeah. So, and then I, the last, that was the last marathon I've run and that was in 2018. So I haven't, haven't been able to register for Boston yet because I don't have a time that's more like recent enough, but I'm hopefully my plan right now is to run a fall marathon this year. I, uh, accidentally got into Berlin through the lottery. Um, <laughs> so I might be doing that. Uh, we'll see if I can make, make that happen, but yeah, I'm hoping to do a fall marathon and hopefully qualify again with a big enough buffer that I can actually run the stinking race. Yeah. And Berlin is meant like, I mean, the world record is on that course. So you never yeah. know. It could be your personal record course. It could get you well under, but I'm, um, that is a remarkable story. I think we all need a friend like Doug to oh, pull yeah. us through when we're when we're feeling down. But it just shows that, you know, if you have, we, we kind of talk about motivation versus routine a lot. Like, do we need motivation? Is that what gets us out the door? Or is it more that we just have these habits that I just know that every morning I'm getting up, I'm doing my run and, you know, this is on the training today. I need to complete that. But in your case, while, you know, you have all that habit that you've developed over the last few years at the back of your mind, it always goes back to that incredible memory of watching your mom. And do you think that helps you on days when you really don't want to get out the door? Yeah, I think, I think part of it, I definitely, I rely on motivation sometimes, but I think, I don't know, I think motivation is, it can be very fleeting. And I think, especially, you know, when you, you know, you're tired, you know, in the last couple miles of a 20 mile long run, you just don't, you don't want to do it. Motivation doesn't really do it for me then. Um, but yeah, thinking about like the people in my life who I know would be really proud of me. Um, or just like, again, just the, the knowledge that like, you know, this, this is just part of who I am. This is what I do. This is something like I, I, I identify as a runner and that means that I run like this is just something I get up and do every single day. And I just kind of like, it's one of those things like, you know, inertia, um, like in science, you know, once you, an object in motion stays in motion. And I just think like, if you just kind of keep that ball rolling and turn it into just kind of part of who you are, instead of like something you just kind of do every so often when the mood hits, or you feel you read something, especially motivational on the internet, I think, I think it's just, it's just good to kind of just be in the groove like that and just kind of, it removes choice from the equation. Like it's, it's not that I make the choice every morning that I'm going to run today. It's more just, this is something I do. And it's kind of, I feel that way about ultras too. Um, with the whole choice thing, I think if you go into the race, especially these big long hundred milers, if you go into the race, knowing that quitting is an option, I think you're a lot more likely at mile 80 when it's dark out and you don't want to keep going. I think you're a lot more likely to sit down at that aid station and be like, no, you know what? This is enough. Um, but I think if you remove that as an option, barring like severe injury or like you're throwing up and you can't keep food down, but like just removing that as a choice, you know, you're, I'm, I'm going to keep going until they drag me off this course because I ran out of time. Like, I think that that, is really important um, because once you, when you have that in the back of your head, that it is a choice, you know, when it gets hard, you're going to be like, well, maybe I'll just stop. That is so true. When we say to ourselves, okay, I'm not feeling great today. I'll go out. And if I need to stop, I will. I think that's mm -hmm. something that most of us are guilty of. But as you said, even if you just remove that completely, okay, I won't stop. Maybe I'll walk for a few hundred meters and then go. Mm -hmm. um, no, some very, very important mindset tricks there to keep you going. And like that applies to, as you said, whether it's just completing your couch to 5K. Like, as you said, you could have quit that third time because you weren't on your target for a sub 30, but you walked, you got there in the end. So I think it definitely sounds like that is something you really have, you know, done throughout your whole time. Just that. I'm not quitting. That's not an option for me. Yeah. No, I don't mind like finishing slower than I planned on or, you know, not having the race that I wanted, but giving up entirely is just not something I'm willing to do anymore. I think I just spent a long time before running, just kind of self-identifying as someone who not a total quitter, but like when things got tough, like I, 
you know, I definitely had those times where I was like, eh, you know, it's whatever. I'm fine with, I guess, where I'm at now. You know, I don't have to keep going. But now I just kind of, I don't know, I, I don't want to be a quitter. So I just, I, it's something I don't allow myself to do anymore. But I love how it's you setting this. Like you're setting these terms. You're not doing it for anyone. You're not doing it because of anyone. You are doing it for you. And I think that's so important for the success of it. Yeah. No, I think I, I think they've done some stuff about the whole like, you know, ex- external versus internal motivation. Um, and yeah, I definitely have some external motivations. There's definitely they do come into play. But at the end of the day, like when I'm having those soul searching moments when it's, you know, 102 degrees and I'm in a canyon somewhere and I'm just like, what, why am I doing this? This is horrible. And it's just one of those moments where I'm like, you know, I I do have reasons why I'm doing this. Like I'm doing this because I am, I need to, I want to prove to myself that I am someone who can do tough things. I'm, I'm doing this because at the end of the day, I do genuinely love pushing myself and seeing what I'm capable of and seeing that I'm capable of a lot more than I thought of when I showed up at the start line. Um, And I think that that, and that's something that like can't be taken away from me. And I feel like maybe those external motivations are something that could just kind of go away very easily, but the internal ones are just kind of always going to be there because they're, you know, part of me. And you do talk about, you know, being a runner, you run, that's who you are. But um, you also mentioned like on your Instagram, especially about, you know, body image and, you know, runner's body and the perceptions people have, like, how has that affected you on your journey um, in terms of body positivity? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's always been, it was, it was hard, especially like when I first started running, I was someone who was very visibly overweight, um, a lot bigger than you would expect a runner to be. And I definitely had a lot of instances of, you know, people either assuming that I was not a runner or that I didn't exercise or people just kind of, you know, saying really horrible things (laughs) out of, you know, the windows of a car or kind of like throwing something at you. And, and it is something that I've noticed like still happens, unfortunately, even though I, I do have a much more like socially acceptable body as, you know, you could make, you know, I, I look more like an athlete now than I did before. I still don't look like a stereotypical, like professional elite level runner. Like, who and does, I do, and I have friends. Right? Who does? Yeah. They're so like beanpole, like stick thin. It's, I mean, it's just, yeah, there's, there's definitely like a certain look and I don't think, I don't know, that's, I don't think that's ever something that is probably in the cards for me, just based on like how I'm built. Um, but I also, I don't know. I don't want there to be this societal idea of what an athlete looks like or what a runner looks like. And I, cause it, it makes me really upset because I know like when I was just starting out, like I would hide when I run, like I would only run in places where people couldn't see me, um, in this like really wooded area near where I grew up just to make sure that like, no one could possibly see me running because I was so you know, I, I was so ashamed of like, I don't, you know, I don't look like I should be doing this or I'm going too slow. I don't want people to see me. And, you know, I don't, I don't want people to have that bar for entry to running. Like, I think it is something that should be for everyone, uh, regardless of like what you look like. And I don't know, it just, it makes me really upset <laughs> to think about um, just knowing how past me felt. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm really glad that I managed to stick to it. And even though I like felt like I didn't deserve to do it or I didn't look right, um, and kind of like stuck through that. Um, but I, you know, I worry that there are people out there who like, you know, they, they want to try running or they, they do run, but they feel like they don't belong because they don't look like a runner. And and like that just, I don't know, that, that hurts to think about. So I don't know. It's just something that I, and when, I don't know. And there's also a lot of like other problems with this, this whole body size thing. It's just like, you know, I, right now I have the privilege where I can walk into a store and I can buy running clothes. I can buy athletic wear off the rack easily because I, you know, I, I have a fairly average size body, but there are people, you know, who, who can't just walk into a store and buy athletic wear. And so like, there is this other bar to entry for the sport where like, 
a lot of companies don't make clothes big enough for people who might want to buy them to exercise. There's, you know, I don't think it's, it's just, it just really frustrates me that I, cause I don't, I don't think that there should be this bar that, oh, you know, you must be this small in order to participate. And I think that especially on social media, that can really also affect it because you don't, you know, you don't see a lot of, you, if you are, do not fit this certain mold of what a runner looks like, you know, people aren't interested. Um, and I think that has been starting to change now. There are some, some runners who are, who don't fit these molds, who are, you know, not super skinny, who are not like, who are not white, who are not cis, who are not, you know, all this stuff, who are more diverse. And I, I really, I like that this is something that's happening now, but I do think there are a lot of brands that only focus on like this thin, cis, male, female body and kind of ignore everyone else that who could become a massive consumer of the products and, you know, who could be get really into running and really involved in the community. But there's, they, there is this barrier to entry that we have not fixed yet. And that's something that, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people don't think about, you know, people you know, I do agree that we do have very bad perceptions in terms of, you know, we assume that if you want to be a runner, you know, you do have to have a certain shape. But just thinking about the clothes brands not catering to a bigger person who wants to get out and wants to get active, you know, there are barriers that I'm sure that a lot of people would never have considered. And if Mm -hmm. it doesn't affect you, you're not going to think about it. So I do think it is important to highlight these issues. And one thing I do know is that a lot of shoe companies now cater to wide feet. So Mm -hmm. previously you could only get shoes in a standard for women. It's a standard B for men. It's a standard D. And now a lot of shoe companies are doing women's D's and men's 2E and 4E as standard. And I just think that that, even though it's something so small for the companies, just to make the shoes slightly bigger, I do think that has a massive effect for someone who maybe has a wider foot, who maybe is a bit heavier and, you know, they still want to run. They still deserve the right to get out there and be comfortable and have the correct apparel. So it is up to the apparel brands and the shoe companies to cater for them. So it's just something I've noticed, especially in recent years, is the availability of those wider fits. Mm -hmm. So if we could just see that shift to the apparel, start stocking the bigger sizes or just making them available. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't know. I running is something that has made me feel more comfortable in my own body than I ever have before. Like it's, it's one of those things I've noticed, like when I am running, I, I feel very at home in my body and I'm not, I'm not thinking about like, Oh, do I look weird? Like, is my stomach jiggling too weird? Like, are my legs doing this weird thing? Like, it's just, I am just focused on like, wow, my body is doing this amazing thing. And this is, this is really cool. And like, I want other, I want everyone to be able to experience that. And like, maybe, you know, it doesn't even have to be running. Like it could be biking. It could be walking. It could be hiking. Like, I just, I think there's a lot in just the act of movement and just being in nature, just like kind of surrounding yourself with that and moving through it, I think is a way that, a lot of people could connect with their bodies in a way that maybe they haven't before. And I I want everyone to experience that regardless of like whether, like what they look like or who they are. Like, I think that's just something that we should all be able to experience. And like, it's just not fair that it's a lot harder for other people than it is for some. Very true. But like you said on your Instagram, if you run, you have a runner's body. You know, we need to cut this idea of, you know, you need to lose weight before you're considered a runner. No, you don't. You just need to get out the door. Like you said, your body is capable of incredible things, regardless of the size. It doesn't matter if there's a bit wobbling here or something jiggling there. Your body can get you through a race. And I think that is the most incredible thing. And that should be the message we are sending that time irrelevant. It should be the journey. It should be, like you said, experiencing the positivity from running, how that makes you feel regardless of body size. So if you yeah. run, you have a runner's body. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that. I really, I just love that message. Um, 
And I also, I don't know, another thing I have noticed too is that like, if you are, if you have a bigger body than is typically considered athletic or something, people also just always assume that you're exercising because you want to lose weight. And so, you know, you get like diet tips, you get, you know, asked how, how everything's going, how much weight you want to lose. And I just, I don't know, I, it's frustrating to me too, because it's like, I, you know, you can enjoy running and you can be focused on running and love to exercise and not desire to lose weight. Like it just, even if, you know, you have a larger body, like you can be perfectly happy with that, not want it to change and still love to run. And so like, I just, I think that's, it's upsetting that like when a thin person is running, everyone's always like, oh, like, what are you trying to like, how fast are you trying to get? Like, what's your PR or PB? Like, you know, asking like training questions and stuff. And when you're larger, it's always like, oh, so like, are you, how's your diet going? Are you losing weight? Like, you know, and I, I think that that is also just something that maybe we should try to move away from this obsession with just like, you know, oh, you must be wanting to change your body. You can't possibly be doing this because you enjoy it. So true. We really need to look at how we're perceiving things and then really act to change that. Yeah. It has been absolutely fantastic talking to you today. I think, you know, you've definitely enlightened, well, definitely enlightened me with some of your perspective on things and the positivity, but the inclusion as well. Running is something that regardless of background, um, size, anything, you know, it shouldn't make a difference. We should all be able to just get out the door and run. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. We do wish you the very best of luck, but is there anything you want to say to finish off with anything? I mean, you've already said plenty inspiring, but anything to close us out? Oh gosh. I don't know. Just run happy. And I know that's the, isn't that that, the Brooks slogan, run happy? I I don't even really wear Brooks shoes. I just, but I do really just love that, that whole idea. It's kind of why I do it. All their apparel says it on it. Run happy. Yeah. So on that note, run happy, enjoy it, enjoy the process. And whatever your goal is, just remember that race day is a celebration. Exactly. Thank you so much again for joining us and all the best with everything in the future. We will link your Instagram so that people can follow along and see the journey that you are doing. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you.